is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is taken from James chapter 1, verses 17 to 27. It happens to be the lectionary reading for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Proper 17, in the Year B cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be one of the readings for August the 29th, 2021. James is a rich, rich book within the New Testament. It's one of the last additions to the New Testament canon. And throughout the next several weeks, we're going to explore together the significance of James, its meaning, and how we might engage with this text in our own lives. It is often quoted, especially within Protestant circles, but sometimes the nuances of this text, the the pieces that help us understand the culture and relationships and people, sometimes can be elusive. And what that does is it means that at moments we we use some of the texts from James out of context. In other words, it's called proof texting, where we use a passage from the Bible that we've extracted without any respect for its setting, its context, its place and moment in time, and just use it for our own ends. And so throughout the next several weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at what James means in its own context so that we can understand how we might engage with it in our own life today. So let's start by looking at the beginning of this text in verses 17 and 18, and we read about God's perfect word, God's perfect word. And so if you look at verse 17, it talks about how every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. This is a rich play on words here in the word for gift and giver or gift and given. Uh, It's trying to help us understand that God is a giver of gifts and we are the recipient of those gifts. And something what James probably has in mind here is a little bit about the Genesis story and that God creates all things for the sake of creation, not for the sake of self. And this is what makes the Genesis creation story so unusual in the setting in which it occurs. In all the other creation stories of the ancient world, everything is created for the purpose of the gods. In the Genesis story, we find that God creates for the purpose of creation. In other words, creates all things so that they might receive and benefit from love. This is what makes this Genesis story different. This is what James has in mind, this given and give and gift, this play on words to help us understand that God by nature is a giver of gifts. We begin to learn something else about James that is grounded in Jewish thought and theology. This uh, a phrase that we find in verse 17, that how these gifts have come down from the Father of Lights. This is one of the few places in the New Testament where this idea of Father of Lights is used. And it's key to understanding what James is about. James probably isn't written by James, the brother of Jesus, but it was certainly written with an, an eye to James as a, a Palestinian Jewish Christian. And so a lot of this uh, letter is grounded within that cultural tradition of Palestinian Jews. And for them, the notion of the father of lights, that God is the creator of all things, that all light comes into existence and God sustains it. It's twofold, that God creates light. Again, we read that in the Genesis story, but that God also continues that light. In other words, creates a way in which that light is self-perpetuating. 
as if the imagery is not rich enough, we, we move on to understand something else that James is trying to tell us, that, that this God has no variation or shifting shadow. So God in every way is unchanging, constant in character and love. And that God doesn't shift. And this is important when we're talking about the Father of lights. Usually we think of things as having permanency, like the stars in the sky or the shadows uh, that we cast. But in reality, those things are changing. The stars moved in the sky. Our shadow moves through the day. So even in the most constant things in the world, they're still shifting and changing. And what James is telling us is that's not true with God. God uh, is not changing. God is is uh, uh, exactly the same, manifesting love and grace. Uh, in, in theological circles, this is called the immutability of God. There's no shift with God. And this is important for James's audience to hear, the people to whom this letter is written. It is written dominantly to a persecuted community, likely of Palestinian or Jewish Christians, maybe at the very end of the first century or the dawn of the second century. Everything here in these opening verses relates to Genesis, that God is, again, in verse 18, it says, crafted everything by his free will, just like us. And then in verse 18, it also tells us that it says he brought forth, everything was brought forth by the word of truth. This notion of word is at the heart of what James is trying to tell us. Because with God, the word that God brings is life-giving It brings life to creation, life to all things, life to us. And James is going to contrast this in a moment with the words that we give, which so often are death-dealing words, words of curse, words of, of unconstructive criticism, of debasing the value of others. And so James is lifting up this contrast. Here's this unchangeable, immutable God who speaks forth and creation comes into being for the benefit of creation itself. And in contrast to that life-giving word is the death-dealing words that we hand out to one another. The key passageway here is this, that God only acts out of love for us, and it is that love that is unchanging. No matter our circumstance or situation, God is consistently loving us in Jesus Christ. And in moments of suffering in our lives, and remember, James is writing to a suffering community, oftentimes our immediate response is to blame. Whose fault is it that I am suffering? And what James is inviting us into is in a world where we might consider something else and that he's really lifting up that God is inviting us to something else in those moments of our own struggle and suffering. God's perfect word is unchangeable and it is life-giving. It is not death-dealing. As the text moves forward, we move to verse 19 and we read this powerful passage of scripture. The, The apostle writes this, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What great advice that uh, the writer of James is giving us. Quick to hear, quick listening. What does that mean for us and how do we do that? Then slow to speak and slow to anger. This is again beginning to formulate this sense of 
of the power that words have, that God's word is life-giving, but rather our words at times are death-dealing. And so the way we respond to that dilemma, the way we mitigate the power of our destructive words is to embrace what verse 19 is telling us, quick to hear, in other words, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. At times, our eagerness to speak or the eagerness of this community to speak and to blame leads to judgment and anger, especially in suffering. And this is key to James's community to whom he writes. He talks about how the, the anger of human beings doesn't achieve a constructive end in this regard. So what remains is an unpacking of this contrast that is If God speaks and gives life and we speak and deal death, the solution to this is what James is telling us is that we need to be quick listening, quick listening, and involve ourselves in the doing of faith. There's two things that we're to do, quick listening and the doing of faith. And so the key passageway here for us as we focus on quick listening first is that words, words are to be careful, clear, and spoken when needed. The true proclamation is in the doing first, then the words. Words are to be careful, clear, and spoken when needed. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is the beginning of our response to living in a world in which we might experience hardship, tribulation, and suffering. So remember what James tells us, that there's this notion of quick listening, but then there's also this doing of the work that's important. And so there's a cycle here that James lifts up, the cycle of hear, do, speak. Hear, do, speak. It's in three key imperatives that James delivers in this section of James chapter one. There's actually five things that we're to do. These are the first three. Hear, do, speak. So it look, begin at verse 21. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word, here it is again, the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James's advice here is to put aside the barriers, put aside filthiness and wickedness, put aside the ways in which we are destructive to one another. The metaphor in verse 21 is, uh, the putting away of filthiness has to do with the cleansing of garments. And what, what the writer's telling us here is that we need, to, we need to try to stop explaining, fixing, and controlling that this community to whom this letter is written is under a, a, a deep sense of suffering and persecution. And James wants them to hear that the, the first moves for us in those moments are not to explain it, fix it, or control it. It's to be reflective on ourselves, to understand the, quote, filthiness and wickedness we each have, and instead receive the word implanted. See, this is the beginning of hearing, isn't it? That the capacity to hear means that the word can be implanted in us. The word that God brings can inhabit us, if you will. If we're not hearing or listening, it becomes very difficult for the word to implant us. And James is telling his hearers, start with hearing. 
But then it really moves into this next section in a famous text that's often taken out of context, and it's grounded in the Jewish literature of suffering. So when we read this portion of James, we read it in a history of Jewish literature that dates for centuries that really convey the very same message, that the response that we're to have in the midst of suffering and tribulation is to develop a sense of wisdom in the midst of that suffering, to not react to it, but to develop a sense of wisdom that is quiet, silent, reflective, engaged, not blaming. Now, a divergent topic here, perhaps for preaching or for some other spaces, we're not talking about people who are in some sort of abusive relationship where they're enabling other people. We're talking about systemic systems that bring suffering or uh, tribulation into our lives. They could be systematic ways in which we experience that in the broader world. It could just be incidental ways, like some kind of illness or family situation. James is speaking to this group of people who are enduring a sense of suffering and tribulation, uh, in their case, religious persecution. So each of these themes of quiet, of listening, of doing, of serving, they're all later treated in James. So what's fascinating about this section of James versus 17 to 27 of chapter 1, it's a summary of the entire rest of the letter. So in reading these verses, we're reading a very short digest of everything that James is going to talk about here. What James means to say here is this, is that if we hear only the words of God, they mean nothing. Our response is not in speaking those words, but in doing those words. And so doing is offered as an alternative to speaking. And James uses this metaphor of a mirror. It's it's really uh, the way you would say in the ancient world to have some sense of yourself or almost to get out of your own way. That the mirror has to do with seeing yourself for who you are. And who you are is a person who is liberated, who is free to do. Just as God was free, back up in verse 18, to create and to bring all things forth, we have that same freedom, the freedom to give life. So in the midst of suffering or tribulation or persecution, instead of our response being just blame and anger and rage, James is inviting us into a deeper kind of Jewish way of thinking about this, which is to have some sense of wisdom in that suffering, to have some sort of reflection about its meaning and its purpose and how we're moving and working in it. James is telling us that that our response to suffering in the Jewish tradition is to seek wisdom. He's going to talk about that more later in chapter 2. If anyone seeks wisdom, what they should do. It's this kind of wisdom that causes self-reflection. And this is why we're to have a slowness of words. Remember the advice? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's about humility. It's about embodying the law of God. Is the law of God something we just hear and obey, or is it something we embody? And the key passageway here is this for us, in this section of James about be doers of the word and not hearers only who delude themselves, is that words have power and that deeds are even more powerful and that righteousness and perfection are not about the words we use or the ceremonies we keep or the rituals we have. It's ultimately about humility, wisdom, restraint. These virtues are a very Jewish response to this sense of 
being a suffering people. Words have power. Be careful how we use them. Very little redemption has come from it. Instead, deeds are more powerful. The doing of things is vastly more powerful. And it's appropriate that our expression in those moments of difficulty are filled with deeds that flow from our sense of wisdom and humility and restraint. Finally, James brings us to the end of this text in verse 27, where we read these words, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. These are the last two imperatives. Remember, there were five imperatives. The first one was to hear. The second one was do. The third one then was to speak. The fourth one is visit orphans and widows in their distress. And the fifth one is to keep oneself unstained by the world. So James is saying, well, then what do we do? So if the doing is more important than the speaking, then what are we supposed to do? Verse 27 tells us what to do. First, James points out the orphans and widows. Orphans and widows within our culture today are very, very different than orphans and widows in the ancient world. In the ancient world, without male headship or male covering, you were destitute. So in the case of orphans, they had no parents. They were not under the male headship of their father, grandfather, or uncle. They were destitute. For a woman to lack the covering of her husband, in other words, to not be married in the ancient world, meant she herself was destitute. So these were two groups of people that were extraordinarily marginalized in the ancient world. They were ostracized. They were outside of the systems and social structures, not only of Jewish community, but even Roman community to some degree. And so the call that James placed on Christian community is to care for these marginalized people because they rely only on God to protect them because nobody else is protecting them. And James's word to us is that we're to embody that protection. In other words, the protection of God is embodied in us. So we're to cover these people, we're to take care of the orphans and the widows. And so there's a bit of a, a social or cultural translation work we have to make to the 21st century to understand who those people are. It's not just orphans and widows anymore. There's a whole vast group of people that experience that marginalization. So that's one thing we're to do. We're to care and cover the marginalized, those that have no protection at all. We're to align ourselves with them. And the second thing that James tells us is to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is a callback all the way back to what we read back in verse 21. Therefore, he says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So it's a callback to that in verse 27, to keep oneself unstained by the world. To do that, we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and ultimately quick to doing. And the key passageway is this, that quick words and quick judgment are signs of a fool. F the fool within Jewish literature is the opposite of the wise person. It, just pick up the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes and you'll see this contrast writ large in both of those books. Quick words and quick judgment are the sign of a fool. Instead, this letter is telling us something very important, to drive toward deeper wisdom 
and in embodied faith. In other words, take our faith and put flesh on it. Take our faith and put it into the doing. You see, faith, faith should be something seen and then explained. Doing, speaking. It's not just doing and it's not just speaking. It's doing then speaking. You see, when we speak and end up not doing anything, that's hypocrisy. And throughout this letter of James and all of its chapters, James has your number. James wants us to hear that we need to do first, speak second. So our key passageway as we end this particular podcast is that we need, we need to have a deeper wisdom and an embodied faith and how important that is for us. Well, that's it for this week. I want to extend many thanks to the Reverend Deborah Brady and the great people of the First United Methodist Church of Modesto. They are using this podcast as a part of their sermon series on the book of James. I hope you are all blessed by passages as you prepare to receive the sermon on each of the coming Sundays as we move through this short series on the the letter of James. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.